0: you again thank you for this evening thank you for just putting on our hearts to come and to sit at your feet to hear from you by your holy spirit illuminating your word to us this evening lord as we will see tonight we can to us find ourselves on a dark road but you are with us you'll never leave us or forsake us so open up your word, Lord, to us. May we have ears to hear now, hearts to receive. Let the things and the cares of this world, the cares and the things that are happening in our lives, at work and other places, in our personal life, Lord, let, let that be settled here and let you just your voice dominate our, our minds this evening as you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 21 yes two chapters 21 is a little shorter one but as we go through here I think it will flow well to, to see these together here as we continue in the life of David the life of Saul a life of Jonathan the nation of Israel All these key players in our scripture this evening, as we see God doing a work and we will find that not only is King Saul on a dark road. Not only will we see David on a dark road, we will see Jonathan on a dark road. All three of them are on a dark road. Why are they on that dark road? We will see tonight and continue to see as we have been studying over the last few chapters. And that is that transition of leadership from King Saul who went against God and transitioning to King David who's for God. And because someone is against God, he's on a dark road, especially in a repentant heart is on a dark road and for those like David and Jonathan who is for God they can still be on a dark road not because of their choices because that is what God is doing in their life to mature them in their faith in God and they're maturing and the ability to use that to refine this man David especially To do great things for God as a king. And we will that continue to play out here. But let me start by praying for Israel. Join me in a prayer as we open up here. I'm going to pray for Israel. We see what the scripture says about it. We see it coming together and playing out. And we see evilness coming against God's people. We see that that was going to happen at the end times and through the history of, of the nation, and we see it even more clearly as we see in these days and, uh, and what that is doing across the world and will continue, it appears, uh, of the effect in the rest of the world. But let's pray for Israel, and then we'll get into the scripture. Father, we as we open up your word here to talk about your people here in Israel, and we talk about King David and King Saul and Jonathan and the impact that is happening on the nation then and the the enemy coming against your people then. Lord, we still see it played out in real time today. We pray for the nation of Israel. pray for the leaders. We pray, Lord, for that it would not result into a World War III. But we do know, Lord, in the scriptures, things are being orchestrated by you to bring about as we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39 war Lord but it also excites us the fact that this this dark world Lord that evilness is just reigning that we know this will come to an end you'll first come back and take your bride us out of out of here and there'll be a great revival that we we see in the scriptures Lord and as you will Raise up the two witnesses and you'll raise up the 144,000 Jewish males to be an evangelist across. And you will, by your spirit, will move in a mighty way in those times. But I pray, we pray, Lord, that you will touch all the hearts of the people that we've been sharing the gospel with, ministering to, encouraging to walk by faith in you, and the forgiveness of the sins by you because of the finished work on the cross, Lord, I pray that by the good news that all of the people that we've been reaching will see what's going on and be touched by your spirit, and they will be born again. They would come back and no longer be walking away and being lukewarm in their faith, and no longer cardinal living. They would, they would get their life right now with you. Maybe there'd be repenting hearts happening across the nation, around the world, Lord. Pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, the nation of Israel being persecuted. Lord, we pray that you would be re- your power and your love and your might would be revealed to the world in Jesus name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 20. Let's take the first four verses, then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father? That he seeks my life. So Jonathan said to him, By no means! Exclamation point! By no means! What he's saying here is, Ah, that didn't happen. What do you mean you're talking about my dad is trying to take your life? No, that, that, that's not happening. You shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this from me? Obviously, what David told him about him chasing him down to Naoth where Saul was, down where the, 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 the school of priests were, he obviously dad decided, I'm not telling my son Jonathan what I'm, my plans are. And so now he's finding it and David's bringing it up saying, wait, 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 what's going on here? You would have told me, why didn't you tell me that your dad was gonna come down looking for me to try to kill me? That didn't happen, no way, he's not trying to kill you. He would have told me, he tells me everything. It is not so, Jonathan says. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father, he, he's, I swear, I take an oath. I'm telling you, this is what happened. Your dad came looking for me down here. And he took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. So right there, he's telling him the truth. Dad didn't tell you. He came down, but God had other plans. Remember, God led him to what? Strip his clothes off and he it was, it was worshiping God and God was moving his heart and stopped him from trying to kill David. And obviously, they had a conversation because it says right here, Saul said to David, do not let Jonathan know that this, that I came down to try to take your life, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and is in your soul, lives. There is but a step between me and death. One step. I'm telling you, Jonathan, it is so close for him taking my life. I'm telling you, he's one step away. That's how angry and bitter he is. He is, he is just jealousy, resentment, and rage. He's a one step away. It's going to take, that's it. So Jonathan's response was what? So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself, desire, I will do it for you. He convinced Jonathan, no no, Jonathan, this is real. this is true. your King Saul, my father-in-law, your dad, the king is trying to take one step away from killing me, taking me out. Now how did that make Jonathan and David find themselves on this dark road because that's really dark. My dad didn't tell me, and he really I, I, I love you, David. David says, I love you, Jonathan. We're like brothers, we're really close, we're Budsman's men here. And they're trying, your dad's trying to take it out. He's not trusting you any longer because he knows you like me and you're gonna tell me everything. So he's not gonna tell you anything. He's coming down to look at to try to take me out here. The word that came to my mind when I was telling you this is tr- tremendous discouragement. Almost to a level of depression here, of just feeling the weight of the fact that someone wants is one step away. David's like one step away. Someone's trying to kill me here. John's like, wow, what's going to happen? My dad's actually taking someone out that David, who's he knows, is the future king. And the weight of this, the darkness of it, it's just inevitable. God, D- David must have felt. That this looming death was inevitable, and he was walking down this dark road on the edge of a cliff. It was only a matter of time. It's not like it, had, it didn't have proof. Saul tried to pin him to the wall a couple of times already. So it's not like he's, he's making these things up in his head. This was factual. This is true. This is right. This is not something he's mentally just unstable and he's triggering over little things here. <laughs> this is true. And so Jonathan continued to reassure David. Okay, David, I know you're discouraged. I know you're starting to doubt our relationship. You think I am, I I probably, I didn't tell you anything because I'm now siding with my dad. All kinds of things might be going in your head right now. And I know you're asking me, why didn't I tell you? And why is this happening? And I'm absolutely adamant there was no way this could be happening without me knowing. But then David convinced him. Now, I I find it interesting when he makes this statement to David, whatever your self-desire, I will do it for you. Jonathan, I mean, yes, he's reassuring David. He's bringing encouragement to David. He's offering help to this very discouraged and this man who's on a very dark road. But he could have said, David, where's your faith, man? Where, well, brother, where's your faith? Why are you losing it here? Why aren't you just trusting God in this situation? Sometimes we can be somewhat too casual when you hear someone on a dark road, and all you can say is, "Where's your faith?" But well, just trust God. Like it's, it's no big deal. Like, it is a big deal when you're on a dark road, and it's real. And it's, it, it's, it's real. The last thing we need to do is just, just throw out some little Christianese things. We need to be listeners. And as John says, what is your desire? What can I do to help you? What can I do to encourage you? Let's pray together. Let's go to God together. God is for you, not against you. He's, he is, he's going to protect you. He's got a purpose and a plan for, this, for you on this dark road here. He's got a plan for you to work through things in your life. How can I help you? You know, we need to be more encouragement, as Jonathan seems to be here. Because remember, tribulation brings about patience. And patience brings about perfection. Where do we see that? Go back and read Romans 5.3. Read James 1.4. These are things that God uses this tribulation, uses these difficult situations in our lives to bring about patience, but also patience into perfection, meaning maturity in your faith. That is how he does it, is through those situations, the, the dark roads in our life. Verse 5, And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, Tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. (laughs) There's there's a family getting together. I got to have a family reunion. It's over at Bethlehem. I need to get permission. Why? Because there's a new moon. If there's a new moon, there's always sacrifice. When there's sacrifices, there's a big feast. When that big feast, he's expecting, King Saul's expecting, all of his family closest within his realm there to be part of that feast. There's no question David knew he was supposed to be there. So he's going to Jonathan, not to Saul, he's going to Jonathan to find and say, okay, just give him this reason, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be gone. I can't be there because I asked for permission and tried to get out. So he's lying here because he's not going back to Bethlehem. He's going over to the field that is where Jonathan and him know where he's talking, referring to, and he's going to hang out there, that field, for three days. Until the celebration gets through, and let's see what's going to happen here. But I know I can't show up at that dinner. There's no way. He's one step away from taking my head off here. But just tell him I'm asking for permission that I'm going to go run over to Bethlehem because we're having a family reunion over there. And if he says, this is the test, right? He's, 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 David's giving the proposal to, Saul's, uh, to Jonathan to test Saul on his attitude regarding David through this measure. He's just testing him. And he says, if he says this, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, then be assured that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? So, Jonathan, if you find anything wicked in me, if you find anything I'm going against you and your family, or am I doing anything wrong, just take me out, kill me yourself. Because I, 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 that's not my intent. It's never my intent. I don't want to go against you. I, we have a covenant where I'm going to protect you and your family. We've we got a relationship. We're tight, man. But don't, don't bring me to your father. Just take, take me out yourself. But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then... Would I not tell you? He's trying to reassure David. David, our relationship is still tight. I'm not going against you. I'm not sitting there. I recognize David. You're going to be the new king. And I said, I'm going to help you in that kingship. I'm your right hand man. I'm right there with you. I'm so close. I'm. I, I, there's no question I'm going to support you. Now you're questioning if I am going against you now. And I'm somewhat saying, you know, I don't want to let go of my reign. If dad takes out David. David, then I'm going to be reigning here, and so David's got, starts having questions, because under stress, when you're on a poor road, when you're on a dark road, when you're on a stressful road, you can start, you can start seeing things that are not true, you can start questioning things, you start getting paranoid, you start, you start thinking certain things, and you've got to be very we all have to be very careful of that that we don't create things and go squirrely in our minds because we're starting to question, because everything seems to be really unstable around us. In those times, David, Jonathan will bring David back to the reality here, but bring David solidly back to the rock, the, the rock that we stand upon. We too have to come back to the rock that we stand on and know who God is in our life and make sure those thoughts are bring every thought is brought under captivity. And be in line with what the word of God and what his truth says and what he knows and what he sees, how he sees you, not where everyone else might see you. We've got to come back to that foundations when under stressful times. And we're going to see stressful times, my, my brothers and sisters. So this is a preparation for us tonight to be prepared, to be stable and to not overreact emotionally and, and, and mentally, but, but stay grounded in the truth of who our God is and what he means to us, and how how he works it through our lives. But here, Jonathan makes it clear. I would have told you. Would I not have told you? And then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? I'm putting you in danger, Jonathan, by asking these putting the situation. I recognize it, but who's gonna tell me? I'm gonna be hiding out over here by the, you know, for three days in the, in, in the field. So who's gonna, how are you gonna tell me it, where he stands? So David's really honing in on the clarity. Okay, now how I'm going to know from you if it's safe or not, I need to know. And Jonathan said to David, Come and let us go into the field. So both of them went out into the field. So Jonathan took them and they went out to the field. They're talking, obviously, all the way out there, finding exactly where David's going to be. So it's all set up. So there's no question. David knows. Jonathan knows where he is. He knows where Jonathan is. Everything is set. But David's asking Jonathan to observe his father, Saul's, reactions by a simple response of why he's not there at that dinner. Because this was an important one. This is the new moon. I shall not fail to sit. I'm not supposed to. It's a special sacrifice. We were commanded for the new moon. Where do we see that? In Numbers chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. So he knew how important that, that feast was to be. And so when you take a look at this, Everything is setting up. He's trying to encourage, Jonas is trying to encourage David to no longer doubt his loyalty. I'm set with you, brother. I'm with you. We have a covenant. We love each other. We're, we're tight here. I will do this, even though it might be risky, because even David said, what happens if he roughs you up? Well, we will see. It's more than rough up. <laughs> So David gives up a, a, a practical problem here and he, he proposes how they're going to do it and how it's going to be worn out and you warn him to find out what's going to happen at that dinner. What happens? Let's look at verse 12. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. There's, the, there's that, that, that solid moment here. Jonathan is reassuring David and bringing back to God here. The Lord God of Israel is witness. David, God sees all things. That's what I'm telling you, David. You can calm down, breathe in and out. God sees all things. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day. So he's saying it might take three days to figure out where his attitude is. And indeed, there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. David, if I don't follow through with what I tell you I'm going to do, may God strike me. That really comes down to just God have your way with me here. I am fearful of my God, the Lord God of Israel. I He's the witness. I fear him. David, I'm telling you, I will follow through with this. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now, that's interesting at the very end here. I find it fascinating in the scripture here because he says if dad, the father, Saul, wants to do evil, he wants to still kill you. And is not safe I'm going to I'll be the first one to tell you so you can get away and be safe I'll send you on your way and because I recognize that the Lord be with you just as he had been with my father for the longest of time until the spirit left him God was with him in the beginning and Jonathan knew that he, God was with him in the beginning until he went against God and then all of a sudden the spirit left him and now King David has been put into place. So he recognized what was God was doing through his dad. He recognized that God could do that through David himself as being king. God brought my father into be kingship. Now God is going to ultimately bring you into the kingship. There's no question in my mind, is really what he's encouraging them to say. Because Jonathan wants to give David more than just a warning. <laughs> he wants to encourage him. And may that be true for us too. Sometimes we need to warn our brother or sister of things that they're doing that doesn't, you know, just a warning of some type. But make sure you follow that up with encouragement with the scripture as well. If you do this, that's a warning. If you do this, the scripture says there's a blessing. So you want to make sure you balance that out as God uses you into people's lives. Don't be just just a downer here. It's all dark road, man, you're in trouble. You've really screwed up your life, and you're still going to screw up your life, and there's no hope for you. That is not what we're to do. We're to, yes, speak truth, but at the same time, come along and encourage. with. But if you decide to repent, if you choose to repent, come to God and come back to him, and stop being the prodigal and come back, now this is what God says in his word for that. And so we want to be encouragers as well when someone is on a dark road. In verse 14, now we see Jonathan <laughs> needs reassurance. Why? Because Jonathan's on a dark road too. He's going to go see his, his dad to tell him David is not going to be here for the feast. He also knows now that da, dad knows that Jonathan is loyal to David. He's going to see the ramification from that, that dark road he's on now. He's got unsurety. And now he's going to sit there and he says, okay, David, if you leave and you're in kingship, are you going to remember our covenant? Are you going to follow through with what we we signed and coveted here? So he says right here, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord, while I was still alive, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So we see here again, David, I love you. You, 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 You're solid on this commitment, this covenant that we have, right? Because I know you're going to be in power. I know you're going to be king. And what they did in those times when the reigning king family, when that king died, then the family went out and the next one came in, they usually wiped out all the heirs of that king so that there was no way to be an uprising to take over that kingship again. So he's saying, Jonathan's saying, and while I'm still alive and, and that I may not die here, you're not going to take me out here, but if I do die, you're not going to cut off your kindness from the rest of my house forever. You're going to be kind. You're going to let them survive. You're going to let them to be able to have a life and continue to live a life. That's what our commitment, our covenant, correct, David? Please don't cut, cut anybody off in, my, in the family, David, because of my father or because of me, Please. And so he caused David to vow, to commit, because he loved him. Just like my own soul, I'll give my own life for you, David. I just, you know, David obviously made a vow to do the same. Because why? Jonathan understood the political dynamics of the family of David and the family of Jonathan and how this is all going to work out as one royal house replaces another. He had no question in his mind. He was not going to die. God had a hand of protection over David. And he knew that one day David and his descendants would rule over Israel. So he wanted that promise from David while he had him right in front of him talking to him. He wanted that promise that David and his descendants would not kill or mistreat the descendants of Jonathan. Now Jonathan and David agreed to care for one another. Jonathan agreed to care for David in the face of Saul's threat and David agreed to care for Jonathan and his family in the future. David fulfilled that promise, we will see in 2nd Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 through 8 and also chapter 21 verse 7. We will see that David did truly keep that covenant. and uh, and treat uh, Jonathan's descendants well. So verse 18, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hide on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Ezel. Ezel means departure. Or a memorial rock that shows the way. That's that's what that stone of Ezel means. And then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressingly say to him, and, and I pondered that, I expressingly say to him, what is he going to say? How would he expressingly say this from a distance? This is how he did it. Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them and come. I can hear him emphasizing to David, when you hear me slowly, loudly, directly say these words, I'm telling you a message. What's that message? Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. So if you hear me expressingly, dramatically, (laughs) forcefully command voice here, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them and come. You know it's safe. The king, my dad, Saul, your father-in-law is not looking. He doesn't have an attitude about killing you. It's not. It's safe. There will be no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, again, expressingly, forcefully, command voice. Look, the arrows are behind you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as the ma- as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, Indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. What's the expression? If it doesn't go well, look, the arrows are behind you. That's all he's going to say. <laughs> he's saying to David, uh, get out of there as quickly and as forcefully fast as you can because you and I are going to be a distance between us. Look at the last word, forever. 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 Once Jonathan learns his father's heart and intention toward David, he's going to communicate David through a, a signal, through a very direct, expressive way, one of two messages. And, he's, and David is close enough to hear by that rock is out. And Jonathan will take that target practice practice so he doesn't bring attention. What is Jonathan doing out there today? Ah, he looks like he's doing some target practice. That's all lads chasing things. That's all he's doing. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Disguise. Make sure no one knows where Jonathan's disappearing to. Because he's, I he knew that no question Saul is going to have his little stoop pigeons all around looking to see what his son is going to do and where he's going to go so they could follow him and have some scouts follow him to find out where David is. There's no question in their minds. But they wouldn't think he was out there practicing archery, shooting and that would be the message. And sure enough, one of the two messages to give and he actually gave one of those messages. Now, We'll find. Obviously, Saul was determined to kill David, or he was not. And the Lord will send him out if he is. And it's it's this critical time in David's life. You have to say, I'm on a, David's on a dark road. Either he will be welcomed back into the palace, back into the palace in his home, and he would remember because he lives there now. And and he, he would be, a, or he's going to be a fugitive for the rest of his life for as long as Saul's alive. And in that position of power, he was going to be a fugitive, and he didn't know where he was going to live. He couldn't go back home. That's, that's Saul's daughter. <laughs> so he's not going back there. And so Saul would become a, you know, a hunted man. A was riding on this message, brought through a few arrows. Those three days must have felt like eternity waiting. So what happened? Verse 24, Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, and as at other times, on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner that would have been his cousin the king's cousin the the head of over the army there abner sat by saul's side but david's place was empty nevertheless saul did not say anything that day for he thought something has happened to him he is unclean surely he is unclean well if he's unclean that means at least 24 hours that's it you you, you if as long as you don't continue you could be 24 hours unclean, you can come back and then certainly be partaking. So he's in his mind. He's okay, he didn't show up. Okay, he'll be back for the meal. He knows he has to be here. He's unclean. So he'll be back the next day. So nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? He doesn't say to to Jonathan, Jonathan, where's where's my son in law? Where's David my harpist? Where's David my leader? Where's David? No, he downgrades in some form or fashion almost like he doesn't even now attach himself to this boy at all, David, at all. Why has the son of Jesse not come to you? You know, that's a sign when there's a distance happening and there's something at a distance. It goes from, oh, I love you. I recognize who you are in a a relationship and in a closeness. And when you're not right, you start referring to that individual as someone distant from you, even though that position they're in still hasn't changed. And that happens within the church, it happens within the family, it happens within, even in the workplace. When you start seeing people have a good relationship, there's certain closeness in regards to the terms you use. But when there's a distance, there's a division, there's a separation, you start using terms that is of distance. And he used the son of Jesse, not come to eat, either yesterday or today. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, (laughs) my brother, my big brother, must be the big brother, right? The big brother is telling, hey, little brother, you better be here because you know how family's going to be upset if you don't show up. Yeah, I can see that playing out, right, in real time, but that's not the case here. He's just shifting blame on the big brother here, or, or my brother. And he commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? I know this. I can smell right through this, Jonathan. That's an excuse that doesn't cut it. And I know you're covering for this guy. And he was angry at Jonathan. He, he cussed at him. <laughs> you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. He, he's cussing at him. You're shame. There, there's so much shame over you that what you're trying to tell me is a lie. He's... He's clearly communicating here to them. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, he's telling him, he's not, he's not holding back here. He's telling, he's telling Jonathan exactly what he's thinking and feeling now. You shall not be established, nor your king. As long as David is alive, you are not going to be king. And that was that that was more important than anything, that Saul has his son take over his kingship and be part of the, the, the lineage of going into the kingship. He didn't care what God thought. Saul wasn't even concerned that. he's, he's lost, he, you know, he left God a long time ago. He used to call out occasionally to God, and God was working through him, even though he, I'm surprising, but God was working through him for his, for his, for his people's sake. Now Jonathan so I mean it's all so far gone that he's reminding his son hey as long as this guy the son of Jesse he's not even calling David's name now he's not even referring to David as long as this son of Jesse see how further his distance this kid is David is away from Saul's mind now he's he's just a son of someone not your son-in-law Not the one that helped you to to soothe your soul with a harp and singing to you and that kind of thing to help calm you when you were in distress. No, you didn't even see this guy. The guy who took out Goliath, the guy who took out the enemy multiple times to to save Israel. No, no, no. This guy is just a son of Jesse. Whoever he is, if he still lives, you're not going to have the kingship, Jonathan. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me. I know you know where he's at. Go get him and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him. His own son, now he's going to kill him. That's how far he is. That Saul is down the dark road. He's spiraling down. He's over the cliff now. He's willing to kill his son. That's how much anger and bitter he's lost his mind. And he's going to pin him to the wall just like he did try to David a couple of times. But then you know, again, Saul cast a spear at him to, to kill him. Now some people are like, oh, he maybe was just, just throwing it just to make a point. No, it says in the scripture, he threw and cast that spear at him to kill him. That was the intent. It wasn't just to make a point. <laughs> he was trying to kill him by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. I, I, really, Jonathan? <laughs> you needed a spear coming at you to kill you, to understand how bitter and angry and, and jealous and, and resentment, and all the things that could, just spiral your father's coming after David. Are you, that's what it's going to take? But you know, that I, I pondered on that, and I'm thinking, Lord, isn't that so true? That we always go no no that can't be true no 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 they, they would never do that come no they cannot be thinking that way no they wouldn't cause a, a a split in a church because no they wouldn't cause a they wouldn't cause a split in a family no they wouldn't cause to do that no 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 sometimes you just in denial of all the signs and symptoms and all the things and indications that yes that person is intent to cause. Dis- Dis, disunity and disruption and, and actually take out people in the in this situation. And you just kind of like, no, 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 that can't be. How important it is that we have the wisdom of God and the discernment of God to see what this and And so Jonathan arose from the table because he's got it clear now. He's not in denial. So Jonathan arose from the table in a fierce anger. So now Jonathan's angry. He's triggered. He's like really mad. Oh, Why? Because he, Saul's wrong. Dad's wrong. So when he rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Saul's heart was hard as can be. <laughs> His heart was so hard, is so settled on evil against David, nothing. Nothing was shaking him. This is the same guy if you remember Saul's intention back in the first time when he got angry with David and jealous. Remember in 1 Samuel 19:6 who he made an oath, a promise as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Oh, those are just statements. When the heart's not right, and people can still say these. Oh, in God's name, I. Oh, I, I would never do that. I would never cause that problem. I was never. In that. No, you can say all you want, but you're, all the things are coming out of your mouth, and your actions are saying completely different. In this case, it's clear. Saul never really truly repented and truly just surrendered to God. And uh, and, no, his heart continued. And Saul's heart was so, so, so dark toward David. Now he's saying he will surely die. Despite the, the previous oaths, despite the stripping his clothes and nakedness and, and worshiping God and, and 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 Naoth. None of that, uh, that was just little moments of it just just dealing with his inner anger and jealousies and stuff. He was just struggling. It wasn't true regeneration, true transformation of, of the heart. But despite Saul's intentions, David would not die at the hands of Saul or any other enemy, because God, remember, God, He delivers us. Remember, He delivers us. And when you think the enemy's going to take you out, you just remember, He delivers us. He'll deliver you. You're a child of God. He will deliver you. When we see what's going on in Israel, watch out. He's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver them. He will deliver Israel. He did it then and he will do it now. And he'll do it in the future. Two more wars, remember, Ezekiel and then Armageddon. Remember, there's two more after the, 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 what we see in today. And God shows up each time, every single time. Six-day war... After World War Two, all the different wars, God is delivered. But this casting of the spear to willing to kill Jonathan himself because Jonathan reacted not the way Saul wanted him to react. He said, go get him and bring him back. He's going to die. And, and when he questioned, what has he, what, why should you kill him? And why has he, what has he done? He's questioning the authority of the king. And the king didn't matter if he was. He was completely losing objectivity here. He just got done saying, if you don't take David out, you're not going to be king. And because he said, why, what did he do? Saul knew that he didn't do anything wrong. Saul knew that he didn't have any reason to justification. He was killing an innocent man. But that's how bad anger will get when it spirals out of control. It always leads to death. Anger will always lead to death if it's not dealt with. That's how far and how deep Saul's hatred for David was. He would kill his own son for siding with David. Verse 35, And and so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field, and at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow behind him, when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, was, was which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow behind you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad. He just must have broke. Just grieving broke. Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go carry them to the city. Well, two messages. Which option? I think deep within, I think both of them knew what the outcome would be. I think certainly David did. Jonathan was certainly in denial of that until he looked like dad was going to kill him. And then it became very clear. But it took courage for Jonathan. This is a very dark road. He's going against his dad. He's going against the king. He's going against this life that he could see and David could be King David and he was going to help them. Everything was there. This is a very dark road Jonathan was on and now he has to sit there and to the to the, to the guy he loves so much, is so dear to him, such a commitment to each other, to be and do life together, to, to, to rule the, and the, the kingdom of Israel. and everything. All these things must have been playing out in his head. Everything changed. All that's gone. It's all about now survival. And his best friend David has to run. And he will never see David again. Single Arrow told David his whole life has changed based on that one arrow. He would no longer be welcomed into the palace. He'll be no longer welcomed even in around the town or the army of Israel and all of the guys that he's led as a leader of the army. None of that. He won't be able to do any of that. He could no longer go home to see his wife. He could no longer David could, it's now just a fugitive on the run from an angry jealous king determined to destroy him. And he's going to be hiding and hiding and hiding. Sometimes our life turns on a smallest thing. One arrow. One moment. One incident. One tragedy. It could be even small or large. It changes your whole life. One night of carelessness may change a girl's life forever. One wrong night with a bunch of guys going out, and arrest is happening, and because of your association with them, now you have an arrest record. Because you just chose, because you want to just hang out with the guys, and those guys were not good. It'll take just will take just one moment, and it will change a lifetime. As a pastor, I have seen that played out more times than I can count. One situation, one moment, one incident, being at the wrong place at the wrong time, choosing the wrong friend, choosing not to be where you should be and you decide to go because someone convinced you to do something, and it changes your life forever. I've watched that played out in the lives, especially of young men, very grieving. Verse forty-one. And as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a pal, from a place toward the south, and fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. And then Jonathan said to David, "Go in peace, since we have." both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Yes, and this is the very last time they see each other face to face. There'll be a time, I should say, there'll be a time down the road that David and Jonathan will just meet just really quick, shortly, just before Jonathan's death, but this is the only time they really have, um, again, there'll be quite some time and no no connection whatsoever uh, before Jonathan dies. But the pain, the dark road brings pain. And that pain of being separated and being apart and life-changing Obviously, I believe it was worse for David because he was cut off from everything. Destined to live a life of a fugitive for many years. All the things that it was there. And again, if you're looking at the situation, that seems so dark and such so a dark road. But as soon as he can get his mindset upon God and what God said he's going to do in his life. It would be lifted from that darkness. You realize it's only a matter of time he will come back and you'll be king. But he wasn't there at that point in the in that dark road. And the dark road it was really dark. He didn't see the, the and couldn't see the vision of what God had said. You're going to be king because it doesn't make sense. Why would this be happening to me? If I'm supposed to be king, I'm I've been anointed. I have the Spirit of God upon me. How could I be on this dark road? How can that be? And it happens for us to. I've been saved. I've been born again. I'm loving the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer. How can this be that I'm on a dark road? Why is this, this experience, this thing happening to me? Such loss. How could this happen to me? Such pain. How could this be happening to me? Because God is using in your life to prepare you for greater things. For bigger things. His ways of sanctifying you and me is guaranteed. is not how we would like to be sanctified. Can't you just make us perfect now? (laughs) And then we don't have to battle the flesh and battle evil or do it. Can't we just be perfected now? No, God is sanctifying us. But don't forget the process, but it's important because God is perfecting. He's building patience in you, but he's going to be perfecting you through these trials and tribulations. But remember, when you get to heaven, when we get to heaven, when we get home, it's all good. Everything changed. David wasn't hanging there. David couldn't handle. Jonathan couldn't handle that at this point because right now all they can realize is they're going to be separated, going different directions and Jonathan how what's dad going to do once I how we don't know how dad's going to react and does dad know about Jonathan knowing that David took off and we don't know. But Jonathan's not going to have a normal life either when he goes back. But David certainly will not return to a normal life until Saul dies. And David is king. But this was God's road for David. This is his road. Was David in God's will? Yes. How can anyone set out on such a dark road and be in the will of God? Because God often has his people spend at least some time on a dark road. He appoints some of his favorites to spend a lot of time on the dark road. Ask Paul. Paul was on a lot of dark roads. Think of Job. Think of Joseph. For you ladies, that was for you. Think of Joseph and the dark road that he was finding himself on. As you study the life of Joseph, you can see that he was on a dark road of uncertainty. And even our Lord Jesus was on a dark road, don't forget. He was on the road to the cross. No deeper, no darker than that road. But the dark road for David, it was important for his life. Because if God would put David in a place where people must depend on him, and if God is going to place him in a position of authority to depend on him, these people needed to know that he was prepared for this, and God would teach David to depend upon God alone. Not himself. Not Saul. Not Jonathan. Not anyone except God. God had to bring him to a point of him being the king over his people. No question David had to be broken to a point on this dark road to come to a point where I'm only going to trust God. And that's exactly where he is at right now. He has no one to help him. No one he can turn to. He is all alone with God. And that's not being alone. God will never leave him. God will never leave us. think this dark road was important to David's life because if David would be safe now and promoted to king, David must learn to let God be his defense and his promoter. You he cannot. There's a tendency if you're into it and it's so easy to get into that, off, that leadership, that authority position. If it's been up and tested and trusting that God is the one that is your defense and, and protecting you and bringing you and promoting you and bringing you and raising you up into these positions, then you know God's doing it and he's with you. But if you do it or someone else does it for you, you don't have that assurance. You don't have that grounding. Because then you'll be, feel like you're never safe and someone's going to take the position away from you. And that's when even in pastors, you know, conferences and stuff. And, and I remember Chuck Smith, uh, Pastor Chuck, saying, you know, when God does the work in your life and lifting you up in the positions, I'm paraphrasing, but the, the gist is the fact that if God's doing the work, you have all the security to, to do what God's called you to do as a pastor. And when people try to take you out, they're messing with God. When someone else is trying to promote themselves up into positions and take over and, and, and split the church with all these things, he says, they're messing with God. <laughs> I'm in charge. I'm the one who's placed you there. You have the safety. You have the promotion of God doing this in your life. Not your self-promotion. Not yourself doing it all on your own. This dark road was very important to David's life. Because if David was to be set in such a great position of authority, and when you are placed in a great position of authority, you and I, like David, must learn to submit to God's authority. You must. You must be put under the God's authority, even if... It were through a man like Saul. He had to show the, give Saul his authority for the position he was in, and which David did, because he recognized God had placed him there, and he had not taken him out and put David him in there. So David saw him in a position of authority, and he even ministered to him. He actually did what Saul wanted him to do. Even as a second right-hand man, even his, his son Jonathan first, but then David was right there. He was submissive to the authority that God had placed upon Saul at that moment in time as King Saul. He didn't try to sit there and go, you should be out by now. I'm king. I'm the anointed. You should be out. I'm not listening to you. I'm just waiting for you to finally die and get out of the way or whatever God's going to do, and I'm just not going to listen to you. I'm going to do my own thing behind this, the scenes and subvert your authority and all kinds of things and get people to follow me and not follow you. He didn't do any of that. People who do that are all flesh. They're all, they're all flesh. They're all cardinal. That's what happens in, in people in positions Trying to get other people's authority at work, at church, anyway, even in a home. Be very careful. Those kids can be ruthless. They can take you, 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 you mom and dad's out in a heartbeat if you're not careful. That was a joke, but <laughs> I've seen it. So let's do First Samuel twenty-one. Now David came to Nob, and Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? (laughs) Uh, He's a smart man. God just gave him discernment. And so David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Uh-oh. David finds himself on a dark road that now he's, he's on the run, and a fugitive. And when you're a fugitive, you have a tendency to lean upon even lying and being deceptive just to try to survive. Why? Because Hemelech, the priest, knows no question. I know who you are, David. You're the son-in-law of the king. You also is a leader of an army. I know you got downgraded, but you're still in charge of a lot of army. You should have a lot of young, healthy young men around you to protect you. And you should be very clear. So you should not be alone at all. There's no, there's no question. That's, this is not good. This is, and so he became very afraid because he knew it was not right and normal. And then, of course, he's being called out on it. And because of his response, David can tell you he's not in a good place right now because he's now lying to cover for himself to justify why he's alone. Because this was a plain lie. I mean, there's no question. He didn't even give half the truth. I mean, he, he was flat out did not give the truth. Now, some people will look at that and say, well, I can understand. I mean, Zeno's fugitive. He's under a run. He's trying to protect his... This is a priest. Why didn't, you, why didn't you tell him the truth? Some people say, I think it was okay. It wasn't okay. How do we know this? When we get to 1 Samuel chapter 22, Lord willing, next week, verse 22, David would come to horribly regret this lie that he told it's going to catch up to him. Verse three, now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, "There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have a feast, uh, if, the, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women, meaning they're not unclean. Then David answered it to the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. Now that's a partial truth because he had not been with his wife for the last three days, so he was clean, he was fine. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread that was in the tabernacle, right? Which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So David came into the tabernacle in Nob. He was hungry, he knew he needed food. Now he couldn't wait, he just threw out a lie there. He comes to the priest, he asks him, what kind of food do you have available? The only bread I have is the show bread that was part of the tabernacle. We just took those 12 loaves, one loaf representing each of the tribes of Israel, that had to be warm, always fresh, for the Lord on that show table. When it gets old, overthinking, they replace it out. If it's not all used up for those people coming in and sacrifice, they replace it with fresh bread. So he had that bread that's now a day old or whatever it may be, at least a day old and not fresh, not warm. That's still available, but it's no longer holy because not in the tabernacle, but you used for the Lord. This is just now bread, and who normally would eat it would be just the priests. The priests get the bread. Well, now this came, David said, it's okay, uh, we can eat that bread. bread was not to be treated casually. In fact, it was to be only eaten by the priests, but... In Leviticus 24.9 says, And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat in the holy place. So they couldn't even, Aaron and his sons couldn't just take the bread and just walk around chewing on bread around (laughs) around the camp. They had to eat it in the holy place. Now, while this passage, right, in Leviticus, does not specifically say only the priests can eat it. It just says that's who usually gets it, but it doesn't say only priests can eat it. That showbread, so it's, it's it's a principle that they knew that's what it normally would take care of, but it, it's not like it couldn't be distributed out. So as David was talking to him, David understood this. Hamelech ah, knew understood this. That they're not being usually, they're not being unceremonial, unclean by being, had been with their wives or their women or anything like that, but they could use it. So what did Ahimelech do? He broke that priestly custom, but it's not God's word that said they couldn't have it. It was just a custom, which is a reminder for you and I. Human need has more important than Levitical observances, the law. How do we know that is what the message clearly was? Well, we see in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, we see Jesus himself reinforce that this was okay for the priest to give to the, for the need of David as the, uh, of that bread. Jesus t- teaches the disciples. Remember, they were, remember when the dis- the Jesus and his disciples were leaving a town and they were eating this, the, the, you know, it was, they weren't supposed to have any food at that moment in time. They were breaking that religious custom by uh, eating some of the grain and some of the food that they should not have had during that period of time. They were supposed to be fasting. Jesus approved of what Emelech did. He used that as an example that there's a need, a human need, over Levitical observances, and that is okay for them to eat. So Jesus honored David at this point by standing on Emelech's same ground. It says it was okay to give a person in need. So the point here with Emelech and Jesus is very powerful. Why? Because We have a tendency to find human traditions are never more important than God's word itself and many times in churches they'll put traditions over and create things that are not in God's word or they make those traditions more important than God's word itself now if God said only the priest can eat this bread then it'd be different but it doesn't say only God never said that to put the only in there seemed, you know, people logically think you should just say that. That's the problem. When sometimes when you're reading, you add certain things or like like the words only when they're not in there. Or people will take what they're reading and they'll elevate our our extensions or our applications of God's word. To the same level as God's word itself. My applications that I give to you, it does not equal or go above or equal to at all of what God's word says. Or things that are extended. People will take this and then they kind of add lib to it. Never is equal, let alone is good to add to the word of God. And say an equal like that's God's word. It didn't, it's, if it's not in God's word, then it's not. So in this case, it was absolutely fine for Ahimelech to give the bread, the old showbread, to David for his food. Verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul, Uh uh-oh, one of the stew pigeons, was there that day detained before the Lord. Notice that. A certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before, before the Lord. The Lord was detaining him, which tells me as I read that, he was detaining him for a purpose. Sometimes when God doesn't have you able to move on, he's detaining you and you're not moving like you expect to be moving. There's a reason God has you being detained. We may not always know, but he's going to find out real quick. Why? Look, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, not an Israelite, but an Edomite. And the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? Oh, he knows. There's no question, Doeg, he must have known Doeg. If he's part of the the, the herdsmen and chief herdsmen, he obviously crossed paths, no question in my mind. So now he's asking like, is there a sword or a spear somewhere? Why, because he's now turning to a weapon To protect himself. David, don't you trust God? But anyway, for I have brought neither my sword nor my weapon with me because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Oh, really? Of all swords? It's the one from the giant that I used to cut his head off. This is interesting. Whom you have killed in the valley of Elah? There it is, wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other ex, ex, except that one here. And, and David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. <laughs> yeah, of course there's nothing like it. So obviously David senses there is doubly a trouble at hand. And clearly the word's going to get back to Saul. Clearly that Dewag is, no question, a chief herdsman is going to be used by Saul to take David out potentially. So now David is seeking material weapons, a weapon for warfare. But we always have to remember, when we see things not going well, don't always turn to the weapons of, of material weapons. When we know that warfare is not carnal all the time. It's not carnal. It's not always physical. It could be a spiritual warfare you're dealing with. We need our weapons, our, our warfare, are not to be carnal. They're supposed to be spiritual. We see that in Second Corinthians 10.4. But when you're in a cardinal place, when you're in a dark place, you get wrapped in, not by faith, but into the the flesh, and you're trying to survive, we start depending on cardinal weapons or cardinal ways versus understanding these are spiritual things. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness of this world. So don't always quickly turn to the material weapon, but go to the spiritual first. Seek the Lord and what the Lord wants you to do to pray to push back that enemy. Yes, there are times where God uses, yes, even the the weapons of, 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 of material weapons to push back evil. But imagine grabbing that sword and having flashbacks to the moment when you're cutting off Goliath's head. His whole life changed at that point, remember. God said, I'm going to use you in a mighty way. I think that, I ponder on that. I said, why of all sorts? Why is it Goliath?" Because that's how God works. He will use moments where you're a dark road and you need to be encouraged and reminded that God is with you. He brings something typically in the past, something that you will relate to how God helped you in the past. He will bring into the present to remind you and encourage you, God's got this. God's got this don't panic, don't worry, I've got this. Because there was no other sword, but that one would speak boldly to him that said, David, did I not give you the power to take down Goliath? Now I'm providing for you a sword, a moment to remind you, I can still take down any enemy that's formed, any weapon that's formed against you. I can deal with this. Verse 10, then David arose and fled that day from before Saul. Before, from before Saul. Why? Because did all of a sudden that Doag go get Saul and Saul's coming? He knows Saul's coming. Whatever that is, he's fleeing, not from Doag. He's fleeing from Saul and he went to Achash, the king of Gath. What? You're going into this enemy camp? (laughs) This is really weird. He rose up and fled. David's attempt to protect himself was clever, or he thought he was clever with his lies, obviously didn't help him. He's now being found out by Doag being detained by God to be able to see him. He's being reminded that God is with him, and he should be trusting God to protect him, but and, and instead, he's, he's, and he, instead of just trusting in God, maybe God did tell him to flee. Whatever it may be, he, he fled. But I don't think God is going to take him to Achash, the king of Gath, the actual enemy. But that's exactly where D- David went. Why? Because David, in his, in his leaning on his own understanding, had no other place it was safe for him to go to. He goes, if I go to the enemy camp, then Saul's never going to come boldly right into the enemy camp. He'll never think I went to the enemy camp. He wouldn't think I'd be that crazy. Well, he was directed to the enemy camp. He must be discouraged or deceived to think how he would go into this camp and be peacefully find refuge in the enemy's camp, carrying their main guy, Goliath's sword, with him. And where in his right mind would he think he would have any kind of refuge or peace there? Look here at verse 11. And the servants of Achash said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? They see David who he is. He should be the, he's the king of the land. They, they all know who he is, man. It's, did they not sing of him to, to the one another in dances, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? They even knew the song. It's a great hit in Israel around the land. It's a big sound. It must have gone number one on the chart. Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Akesh the king of Gath. Oh, you should be. Why? Because those Philistines immediately recognized David. They recognized him as being the king of Israel. The fact that he was used to slay all their brothers. That they were dancing and celebrating because of him. And because of that, David knew he was discovered that quickly, that fast, and understood that King Ashesh is going to get a hold of him and would not let that man who killed Goliath to get away. How do we also know this? Well, when David was in these distressing moments, he wrote songs. He wrote Psalm 56. And that kind of helps when you go back and read that, understand what happened here at this moment of time. The title, if you go back and look at it, it talks about the Philistines captured him in Gath. He was captured. They recognized him, and he captured him. Here in chapter 21, it doesn't give us any details, but that psalm gives us more details. The Philistines captured David. David thought he would find some autonomy, some some sympathy maybe, some, some secret. He would go in and blend in, and no one will know. He won't make any friends. He would just kind of hang out around these ungodly Philistines in Gath. No, no, no. His his run of fear from the one last last place led them right into the prisoner in gath, and that's what happens when you run by fear. When you take off, if you're a runner and you're 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 afraid and all these things, you take off running. Sometimes you run right into the enemy's hands. Be be stand still, stand on the rock. Let God guide you. We'll close here with fifteen through thirteen through fifteen. So he changed his behavior before them. What do you mean change his behavior? Fiend madness. He had his, he his behavior came where he was absolutely out of his mind of madness. He acted mad. Like he was out of his mind in, his, in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. And then Achash said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He's basically saying, Absolutely not. David had at least enough wisdom that he needed to create a, a, a moment, an hysterical moment, like, this guy is so crazy, I don't want nothing to do with him. He's not a danger to us. Because no one in that culture would allow saliva just to just coming down his beard and everything else. It, it was literally someone who was out of their mind. Insane type person. Scratching like an animal, saliva, and Acha said, "I want nothing to do with. It. Don't even bring him in my house." So when David created this very strange manner, scratching—I mean, out of his mind—kind of moment, I mean, it's theatrical. He was—he basically had to humiliate himself before the enemy to act like a madman to save his life. But it worked. The plan worked. He said, get David out of here. He's pathetic. I don't, I don't have time for this. The question is, I always ask, was he walking in the, in the spirit or in the flesh when he pretended to be mad to save his life? some real smart commentators you know out there believe that David was in the flesh and trusting in himself but but look at you know again the change in Psalm 56 happened before David's escape and it made sense that the Lord would guide David into a path of escape that would humble him because that moment David was humbled. When David tried to protect himself with lies and tried to find refuge among the ungodly, he really was wasn't you know he <laughs> really was acting crazy. But David repented here. He he finally asked for mercy and trusted again in the Lord. It was as if the Lord said, "You've been acting like a madman in your decision making and out of fear and not trusting me. You're not thinking rightly here." But Keep the act going and you're, you'll, we're going to bring you out of that. We're going to humble you. We're going to break you. Go back and read Psalm 34 as well. David's declaration of joy when he escaped from Gath with his life. The title even is Psalm 34. says, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech Who drove him away and he departed." It's a beautiful psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. My soul shall make it boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from my fears." Psalm 34 verses 1 through 4. Tremendous change in attitude toward the Lord. David is now especially joyful because the Lord got him out of a mess that David made himself made. He brought himself into that mess. But isn't that our God and His mercy and grace? God's amazing goodness is shown here when he delivers us, when he delivers David, when we really don't deserve it, he delivers us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, while we find us all at times on a dark road. And we, out of our decisions, we've made bad decisions and acting like madmen. Running out of fear and running into the enemy and leaning on the enemies and finding refuge at different places we should not go to and lean toward. We need to find refuge in you and you alone. Stand on you, the rock. May our joy, may our peace be because of our closeness and relationship. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the... You're, our strength. You're the one that we receive wisdom from. May we again, Lord, learn from Your word tonight. Apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.